Good morning, and uh, it is morning. It's a little bit earlier than normal, um, and uh, hope you've got your cup of coffee ready. And of course, most importantly, I hope you have your Bible ready. And uh, today, I was going to invite you to open up to Colossians chapter three, as we uh, share a devotional this morning. And uh, it's a beautiful time of the day to get up and spend time with the Lord. Uh, in our house, it's quiet at this particular time. It's a little after six thirty, and uh, um, everybody's still asleep. It's kind of been summertime around here for our family for a few weeks now with uh, everybody being home and everything. So uh, I've been able to enjoy some really nice time in the morning uh, with the Lord, uh, seeking him early in that. And um, I wanted to share a couple of devotional thoughts that came out of this passage uh, as I was spending time in it. This is from Paul's letter to the Colossians. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 out of chapter 3 of Colossians. Where Paul writes, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And uh, this is just one of a number of really beautiful if-then kinds of statements that we find throughout the New Testament, whether from the lips of Jesus himself, from Paul or others, um, there's these wonderful if-then. If this is true, then this follows. Or if you do this, this kind of returns uh, and such. And there's these, these great statements here that are worthy of our time to study. But in particular, I want to look at this one this morning uh, and just kind of dive into it a little bit. And when we see the word if here, by the way, in verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, the implication is not so much if, like maybe it's not true, so much as it's implying since you have been raised with Christ. Paul is writing to believers where the implication is that in fact the old man has been crucified with Christ, that believers who hear these words are once again acknowledging and remembering their actual place uh, in being born again. Okay, since this is true of you, since you have been raised with Christ, um, and, and this idea of, of acknowledging that we are uh, crucified with him, that we're born again, <clears throat> this is something Jesus himself spoke about, didn't he, in Luke chapter 9. He said uh, to take up our cross daily and follow after him. This idea that each day we sort of take anew this, this mindset that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And therefore, if you have been raised in Christ, therefore seek those things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of the Father. Um, that idea of seeking is not a casual thing like, hey, just you know, be mindful and, and you know, trying to think about it in sort of a casual sense. No, the word seek there is the same word that he uses when he tells people to, uh, to seek and you will find. And the implication is to keep seeking. Uh, my old pastor used to put it this way, seek, please seek, keep on seeking. And that really is the idea that's being conveyed here, both when Jesus talks about it to those who are beginning to follow him back in Luke chapter 9, and it's also true here when Paul says it uh, in, in regard to seeking those things that are above where Christ is. Being continually about the activity of seeking those things in contrast to things on the earth. Uh, we're being encouraged, not just by Paul, by the way, but if we believe the scriptures are inspired, and I do, uh, then what we're saying is the Holy Spirit is ultimately through Paul urging us to be of the mindset where we are constantly seeking those lofty things that are where Christ is, not by contrast 
those things on the earth. This is something that is the wonderful privilege and prerogative of the believer because we've been invited into those deep things uh, to come before the throne of grace, to obtain mercy in our time of need, to know that there is in fact a reward waiting for, uh, for the beloved of God, that there is in fact an interaction with God even here on the earth that we're invited to draw into intimately, walking with him personally. Uh, and th so therefore we ought to be about the mindset of those kinds of things in contrast to those things that are on the earth. And so we seek with a real genuine sense of wanting to find, okay? And so seek those things that are above where Christ is uh, and set your mind on those things, not things of the earth. Uh, that really does require us to, to purpose ourselves, to think differently than that which would draw us here in this life. As a matter of fact, in Romans, if you want to turn to your left a little bit, I'll read the passage, but just so you uh, know where it is and you hear these words, I never like to assume that everybody's familiar with these passages, but in Romans chapter 12, listen to what Paul says here. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, I beg you, or I beseech you, as some of your translations might read, I appeal to you strongly, in other words, that you, uh, to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or your reasonable service. It's variously translated. But the idea here is to sort of in the same mindset as something like akin to like the burnt offering in that, something where you are wholly given over to him. That's the encouragement to us. And what that includes is what follows. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so don't be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, the mind and the heart follow each other, don't they? Uh, it's hard for my heart to rejoice in what my mind rejects. Where my heart leads, my mind tends to follow. And likewise, where my mind leads, when I really begin to understand, especially in particular, in context here, the things of God, my heart only then begins to follow all the more. As I begin to know him better, how can I not fall more deeply in love with him? If I can borrow from the old song, to know, know, know him is to love, love, love him. And I do, right? And so there is something here to the idea of choosing to dig into those things, to seek with intensity and purpose and, 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 and intention those things that are above. And in doing so, I am allowing my mind to be further and further transformed rather than being conformed to this world around us. And after all, as he goes on in verse three here back in, in Colossians chapter three, he says that for you have died and your life is hidden in, with Christ in God. For you have died, right? Now, of course, physically we haven't died. We're here interacting as it were, but in, in the Christian life, there is very literally a, a sense in which we are old selves, <clears throat> the old man as, as, uh, as, it's, uh, as we're referred to, as our old selves are referred to in the New Testament, this idea that the old self has died and we are now hidden with Christ in God. Hidden, the idea of being hidden here speaks of protected or or the idea that the person and personality of Christ is what becomes the, uh, the visible distinguishing attribute of the believer. Uh, no longer is the old self on display, but rather we're hidden in Christ now, in God. 
Uh, and so there is this sense in which there is a, a new self that is coming out here, that is being consistently and constantly conformed into the image or transformed into the image of Christ. And that becomes the thing that's front and center because the old self now has died. We, uh, we, we actually, um, in baptism, we represent that concept. Um, when, we, when we take somebody and we, we baptize them by immersion, we put them backward down into the water and then up, uh, even as Jesus commanded, right? Baptizing those in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've taught you. And so when we do that, what we're doing is sort of portraying this concept of the old man dying and the new man rising to new life. That's what baptism symbolizes. Uh, it's an outward expression or, or, or uh, uh, sacrament, really. It's an outward uh, um, portraying of the inward reality that has taken place within the believer. The old man has died. And now we have a new nature, as Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians. Uh, it's no longer just the flesh that we live in, but we now have the spirit living within us that battles against the flesh and gives us the capacity to have victory over that constant inundation of the world seeking to conform us to its image. Now instead, we can do battle with that. We can stand against that in the power of God, by the grace of God, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit to stand against such things and rather instead be transformed into the image of Christ. The old man has died. And instead, what we, have, we are doing now is sort of, uh, well, not sort of, we're actually, as Paul would go on to say, putting on Christ or putting on the new man. And so since we're hidden with life, with, with Christ in God, I should say, it now gives us that capacity to stand against those enticements of, of not just the world, but even of the old nature. I'm going to read a little further in Colossians chapter 3 here and, uh, and just kind of put it into the immediate context that Paul is talking about here. He's not just speaking uh, <clears throat> of things from a theoretical or spiritual sense. These have very practical, real implications in regard to our lives. Listen to how Paul continues the thought. He says, put to death, therefore, uh, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked. The implication being that now you're different. Not that you don't still stumble and fall. We never want to sort of set up this false piety and act as though we're not still subject to potentially falling. But it becomes more the exception than the rule. Whereas before, is much more the rule than the exception. <clears throat> so these things we once walked in when we were living in them. We're not living in them anymore as believers. And so they become more the exception than the rule. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk <clears throat> from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. There here, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. In other words, we are all coming the same way. We're all affected uh, theoretically the same way. We should all be affected the same way for having, having put on Christ. We've put off the old self, and instead now we've sort of clothed ourselves, as it were, like a new garment with Christ. And these are things that ultimately become the outward expression of Christ living in us and us being hidden 
in him. He goes on in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint, forgiving one another as the Lord has forgiven forgiven you. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and so on. There's this wonderful transformation that continues to take place in the lives of believers as we put off the old self, take up our cross as it were, dying to self daily and putting on Christ. This is the beautiful if-then of the Christian life. If If then you have been raised with Christ, then these things become true. They become the practice. They become the outworking and expression of God in us, ultimately working things out through us that make us more and more like Jesus. And this is all the idea of being hidden in Christ, uh, hidden with Christ in God. And this is a beautiful truth that is so deeply rich and meaningful for the believer. Um, And and sadly often is sort of not considered uh, really in the lofty place that it should be in the life of a believer. Uh, far too often we tend to pour ourselves into uh, um, some of the more erudite Christian elements of our faith, studying the, the deep theological things that are massively important for us to do, but not at the expense of the development and deepening and, and further cultivating of Christian character. The same Paul who spoke such incredible lofty things in Romans 9 through 11 also spoke such personal things about personal change in in Colossians chapter 3 or in in Romans chapter 7 and 8 where he talks about this battle within and and how he uh, is so thankful that now Christ has made him new. Well, those practical changes that God works within us and ultimately work out through us are, are all every bit as rich and meaningful and as important and central to the Christian life as anything else that we study in Scripture. And so it behooves us to take these things on and to appreciate and enjoy the intimate level of of relationship that God has called us to. Uh, Matter of fact, uh, let's finish the the verse uh, back in verse 4. Notice what he says here. When Christ, who is your life, appears or who is our life appears in some manuscripts, but when Christ who is your life or our life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now that's our glorious hope, right? But notice that phrase right in the middle. When Christ, who is your life, okay? The all-consuming passion, the core, the center of of our very being now in Christ is that he is our life. Again, that's the beautiful privilege and prerogative that Christians have, is that we can have such deep and meaningful relationship with him that he literally becomes our life. Uh, I'm so fond of pointing out how Paul in in, in, uh, Philippians chapter 3, like I I wish I could hear him saying the words because I don't want to imply how he says these things, but it's hard not to read these words that I might know him both in the power of his resurrection, but also being conformed to his death. As though to say, whatever it takes, I just want to know him. And that's what it's all about. All theology, all scripture, ultimately leads us to a deeper personal relationship with the person of Christ. Clearly, Paul understood that and knew that and is teaching us that. 
that even that even Jesus himself makes the implication when he talks to the Pharisees, those who knew the Bible, uh, the Old Testament at that point, obviously, that those who knew the scriptures inside now could quote massive long passages. It's entirely possible some of them could have quote could have quoted nearly entire books of the Old Testament, if not actually entire books of the Old Testament from memory. And he said, you study the scriptures because it is in them that you have, you think you have eternal life, but it is they that speak of me. Their mistake was knowing theology so well, yet missing the very person at the heart of it. And there he was standing literally within a couple of feet of them, and they didn't see it. God help us not to make the same mistake. Um, another if-then statement, maybe I'll close with this thought that is uh, important for us, comes out of Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in, then is implied, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And the idea of eating speaks of fellowship. Now, what's significant and is often overlooked in this passage is that Jesus is saying these words to a church. This is one of the seven churches of Revelation. It's the last one. And he says that he is on the outside of that church knocking to get in. Okay. Now, that may speak of unbelievers. Certainly, unbelievers would fall into the category. But it it should give us pause to recognize that even believers can sort of practice a faith, but not really have Jesus at the heart of it. He's kind of on the outside wanting to get in. Again, God help us not to make that mistake, but rather to pursue him. And when I say pursue him, I mean, we want to dive in and find out who he is through the word that he's given to us. We want to pray and seek him with fervency and intention and intensity. We want to live our lives in conformity to his. We want to allow him as we seek him to transform us more into his image. And that doesn't just mean we know deeper theology. We should grow in our understanding of theology, but it should also change us as human beings. It should make us different. And we should become more like him personally for that pursuit. So God help us to pursue you with such passion and desire that we don't miss the changes that you want to make within us to make us more like Jesus. Help us like Paul to so seek after knowing him personally, the person of Jesus, that we would be willing not only to enjoy and experience the power of his resurrection, but also even to be willing to be conformed more and more into his death. Help that driving desire to know him personally free us to surrender in such a way. Lord, we love you and praise you and ask you to help us toward this end. Help us not to be one-dimensional in our Christianity, but rather take all of me, take all of us. We love you and we praise you for this. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.